Hello, everyone, and welcome to Restorative Conversations, the new podcast series brought to you by the Community of Restorative Researchers. The purpose of the community is to promote an open and critical dialogue within the restorative field and to enhance communication and collaboration between researchers, practitioners, policymakers, and others involved in restorative practices in different contexts and capacities. Through this, we aim to contribute towards maximizing the benefits and minimizing the risks of the growing use of restorative justice and restorative practices. My name is Ian Martyr. I'm the founder of the community, and I research and lecture on the subject at the University of Leeds. In these podcasts, I'll be speaking to prominent individuals from academia, policy, practice, and civil society on recent developments, innovations, and research in the restorative field. Today, I'm at Bar Ilan University in Tel Aviv, Israel, where my guests and I are presenting at the first international conference of the Positive Criminology and Positive Victimology Research Group, developed here in Tel Aviv by Dr. Nati Ranel and his team. According to their website, positive criminology and positive victimology are perspectives which focus on processes and interventions which strengthen integration and are experienced as positive by victims and offenders. And I have the privilege of being here with my guest today, Dr. Esther Friedman. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Social Work at Linneo University in Sweden and completed her PhD here at bar University. She is also a member of the International Advisory Board of the Community of Restorative Researchers. So, thank you so much for joining us today, Esther. Thank you so much for inviting me, Ian. So, can I please invite you to tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you became involved in restorative justice research? Well, I think uh, it was by chance that I got uh, into restorative justice, but I think once I've learned about it, I've it kind of matched to all that I always wanted to believe in. So it was a, a loveful first sight, one can say. Um, I grew up in a very interesting social environment. I was born in Israel. I uh, grew up, I went to school in Italy. I went to a British school. And from a very early age, I was kind of an outsider, kind of a participating observer from an, and I was kind of aware aware from it from a very early age because uh, it's also in my personal family story that I always knew that I'm e- even though I'm I, I, I was a child just growing up I, I, personally I was uh, an only child to my parents where my father had two uh, children from previous uh, marriage, and I was a bit, I was a bit different when I moved to Italy. I, I got to know, I learned that I'm different because I'm not. I went to a British school, and I'm not British. I'm Israeli, even though I might sound a bit like <laughs> Shakespeare, but it's only you know uh, camouflage. <laughs> and to make things even worse, it was uh, Milan of the seventies. Uh, Milan and Italy are very Catholic, and I'm a Jew. Not that I'm very religious at all, not that I knew that I, what, what, that what it means to be a Jew, but I knew I, I'm a Jew. And when all the kids got Christmas presents uh, and could celebrate the Christmas, I also wanted to be part of it. I wanted it to, inter- to, to be accepted, to be part of the community. But I was told, no, you can't, you're Jewish. Uh, when uh, I remember in the British school, when when there was this countess that came to to, to visit, 
and everybody painted blank because it was an international school and I wanted to also to paint the British flag but no I had to paint the flag of Israel and even though uh, I came from Israel it was new to me and uh, when I came back to Israel I was very different because I came from Liverpool and it, and, and it went on because we moved again to Italy and we came back and I was all, always a bit I had always the sense of what it means to be different, considered to be different, or uh, prejudged as different, but wanting to be a part of. And I think this is an experience that many people in nowadays society, uh, and even in um, uh, in the past, in, in, and it's kind of a correct characteristics of a very hierarchical society want to integrate, to be a part, to be accepted for who they are and for their qualities, for the unique qualities as people. And our societies are very much built of including and excluding. And I think it's part of, of human history in a way. And um, um, I went to study social work, I was very much interested in violence prevention because I think the most ex extreme step of excluding someone is violence, uh, to the point that you eliminate them if we're talking mm -hmm. about serious mm -hmm. violence. But um, I was always very critical of the legal uh, responses which were given, especially in cases of family violence. And uh, I worked with elderly people coping with violence from their children. And for a mother to ch press charges against her own son, it, it was almost impossible. Because as a mother, she did, did not want to ruin his future with a criminal record. Uh, but on the other hand, she had no um, formal or uh, other type of help to provide her with setting these limits to the violence she, she was suffering from. And I was looking for alternatives to the legal system. And following this research, I ended up in um, learning about alternative dispute resolutions and when I finished my first degree and I started working in this violence prevention unit it was the first um, program in Israel of mediation and conflict resolution negotiation and conflict resolution in Bar Ilan University and personally for me it was a big step in um, also dealing with my own prejudgments because several years before there was the murder of uh, the Israeli Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Yitzhak Rabin, and he is a distant relative of the family. And, uh, and it was uh, that the murderer, uh, he studied law in uh, Bar-Ilan University. And for me, it was personally it was a step into getting to know 
a group which I said to myself, okay, this, this is a place I don't, I want, I, I never want to be part of. And it was my personal exclusion of something I didn't even know. But when I came, when I started, I, I, it was a unique program for uh, students with um, uh, high credentials. And I was very fortunate to be accepted because I don't think that otherwise I would have been the person I am today or would have got the knowledge that I had today. For, for me, this was the beginning of I think a life journey it was already a continuation, but it was. Uh, I, I was interviewed by Professor Nikki Alderstein, which you will probably meet, and um, she is one of the people who inspired me and actually uh, led me to start a journey. Mm -hmm. And uh, learning about mediation, learning about conflict, learning about everything from uh, the legal aspects of conflict to the political aspects of conflict to the psychological aspect of conflict. We talked a bit before about politics, identities and so, which is very prominent in, in Israel. In Israel, yes. It's, I think it's what uh, manage us instead of other things that could have managed us, mm -hmm. but we'll talk about it later. Mm -hmm. She led me to the theoretical aspect of um, restorative justice, and uh, she 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 actually she wrote her PhD in Harvard University, and she gave me a little um, reference of uh, a book, uh, the little book of restorative justice by Howard Zell. I think you've heard mm -hmm, about mm -hmm, it. Of course, yeah. And uh, I think. From there, it's history because I came to read about all the abolitionists and all um, the background of restorative justice, and I know I, I, I it was um, my bedtime story, digging great waves and um, Bertrand Rocher and. Uh, Talk you mentioned before Dignan and Cavadino mm -hmm. and uh, um, Gary Johnson and uh, Van Ness and all the big names and um, I ended up writing my thesis mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in Israel. A master thesis is is more like a research work. I don't know how it's in the UK. I know that there are different university traditions, but. Um, in order to be accepted to PhD, you need to write a, a whole thesis already in your master's, and I wrote it about uh, family group conferencing uh, in Israel, which took place, uh, in, which already took place at the time in uh, the youth, youth uh, probation service by very special people who imported it from the US. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I got to know them, and uh, I even talked with a very special person named Sarai Gabriel. And she, uh, I, I rang her just, you know, to make an appointment to, 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 to ask when I can talk with her more about restorative justice. And we talked about two, three hours on the phone, and she kind of told me everything she knew about restorative justice. And I never stopped. It's already, um, it was the 2000. 
2000, in the 2000s and to January 2016, it's 15 years studying about it mm-hmm. and I never stopped learning mm-hmm. about about people at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about uh, some of your findings from that research on family group conferencing and then your, your PhD was on um, linguistic features of taking responsibility in restorative businesses. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the findings from the research you did there. Uh, if in my thesis I have more uh, um, place the emphasis on the victims who participated in restorative justice. At that time it was where restorative justice was still looking for justification. It was kind of a black and white, either the legal system or either restorative justice. It was very new, very suspecting, and very much there it is still suspected. Not much has have been um implemented since much has been learned but it's still there's always a gap between the practice and the, the knowledge so it is still in process but in my phd i've made the emphasis um more on the offenders uh more on people um who for different reasons harmed somebody else and how in um uh, how, how do they explain it to themselves and to other people and how they manage all aspects such as identity or their face needs or their um, um, image and how, how do they tell it to other people, what they've done and in a way in which they're actually trying to still keep uh, their image as positive contributing people. And if you just give them the possibility and strengthen the good aspects, because you know, we can all be either bullied, either bullied, or either bystanders. It's not that we are we the good and they the bad, which is the very hierarchical way of dividing uh, identities and politics. It's we, we can all engage ourselves in all, or all of these roles. And if you just give the people the chance, and giving people the chance and what is justice is the whole other story, you'll find wonderful people. You just need to give them the opportunity. There's some of them did, I don't, uh, don't want to, to, to minimize, but they did very uh, harmful actions. Some of them harmed other people in very serious ways and and they and how they live with it and this is what interested me how what happened how what they took from it and what did they do with it which we call it to take responsibility uh, we as societies and it's also a very political term taking responsibility has a lot to do with social control Nietzsche writes about it in a very interesting manner, uh, how uh, it's kind of a, like a ping-pong of who plays responsibility on whom to do what mm-hmm. and who mm-hmm. has to do with it. And is it the government or is it the individual or is it the church? Or who, who does what mm-hmm. and where, where do we place the responsibility? Okay. 
I'm, I'm also really interested on your views around the role of restorative practices in social work, if that's your mm -hmm. um, field. And it's interesting to me because there have been quite a few developments recently. For example, in the Netherlands, there was new legislation about this. Uh, using family group conferences and uh, children's services. And also, actually, in my um, adopted home city of Leeds, uh, there have been quite a few pilot projects. They've invested some money in using family group conferencing for children's uh, services. So I'm just wondering what you see as the, the role and future of restorative practices in that context. Well, um, uh, just may, uh, I mean, well, in in order to answer your question, I just need to give a little uh, uh, introduction about social work. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. What I teach my students is that social work you can find in any place where there is, there is a conflict between people and their environment. And as social workers, we are trying to promote uh, the well-being of the individual by using tools of social, uh, of, of, of course, human uh, behavior, which is in kind of psychology and uh, anthropology and sociology, because social work is uh, uh, a multidisciplinary uh, area of knowledge. But we also have social justice and human rights as our core uh, values. And by doing that, we in every point where there are people where there are people having uh, difficulties in interacting with other people in the group in in the society, their social work comes and tries to make a change, either by empowering the individual or either by doing social change, and it. Um, I think part of the, if we talked about responsibility, and it's, I think also when we talk about um, uh, social perspectives, also in social work and also in politics, there's always an agenda. Who is the one responsible? Is it the individual or is it the society? Marxism says it's the society, it's the culture. Uh, where the more liberal uh, theory takes the individual, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. We have the responsibility for ourselves, and as people of the society, we have responsibility to the individual. And as you said, that there is this um, triangle of uh, offender, um, victim, or bystander. It's we each play the role, and the society can be the oppressor, and the individual can be the oppressor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But each one of them has this position which it can take or it can refrain from taking, choose other ways of action. So it's not only the society and it's not only the individual, it's the contrast between the individual and the society. An individual can contribute to the society only, of, and this is Kay Carnegie, if you've read mm -hmm, her writing, mm -hmm. only of the society will in a way take responsibility for its individual, like a family taking responsibility for its, its child, giving it the tools to cope. And this is um, what restorative justice talks about. And when you see force and violence, it's usually when people's uh, 
for different reasons they didn't learn or didn't have the opportunity or weren't exposed to other methods of dealing with conflict other than violence. They're mm-hmm. desperate and they don't have other tools. And restorative justice gives them other tools for coping on how to communicate uh, their difficulties and it puts it also often for the individual the chance to develop new tools of coping with a conflict but it also involves the community in a caring in a non-indifferent position to to help the individual deal with the conflict mm-hmm. that's really interesting because i think um as a result of um the fact that i'm untrained in the social work field i guess the term to me um, tends to bring up like a sort of a narrow managerial view of what social work is, where I'm thinking about the way that uh, local government agencies implement um, conflict policy. Res- yeah, exactly. Social policy and it has a lot to do with social policy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're talking about the capacity at an individual and a societal level, essentially the skills to resolve conflict generally, mm-hmm. rather than just. Um, state intervention in some familial problem or where one or another young person is causing problems. Indeed, you're very right, uh, Ian, mm. that's exactly what I mean. Uh, social work implies social policy. A social worker, we are the long hand of the state in implying social regulations and social policy. And social policy has a lot with economical agenda where we do we distribute? Where do we put the emphasis? What is important for society to invest in? And today, unfortunately, not enough is invested in uh, the human aspect, in human development, in you can call it education, which I think it starts there, it starts at the age of zero, like that starts at home, it starts at the kindergarten. The child, children can all already be bullied at kindergarten and how do we as society as grown-ups how do we cope with it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I also noticed that um, your research interest listed something called intercultural communication mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could maybe just briefly give an overview of what that is or your involvement in it well each culture um, there is a scholar called a uh, a group. Um, I'm not sure how you pronounce mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. name. I never met him personally, mm-hmm. uh, but he he wrote he wrote a very interesting thing, which was kind of um, mind provoking, kind of aha, a eureka moment. Yeah, for me. And he said that, that every culture, in its way of dealing with um, conflict, reflects the 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 central values of dealing with a conflict. Do we deal with a conflict with violence? Is violence legitimate? Do we talk about conflict? Do we avoid conflict? For example, in Sweden, people, in order to keep the harmony and well-being, would they would avoid conflict. They would internalize their feelings and they would just avoid it in order to keep the the harmony. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In Israel, we are very dominant. We, no, we stand with a very, uh, uh, probably, Americanized in in our way in dealing with conflict. We use a lot, there's an overuse of the uh, 
of litigation and the legal system. And we, uh, we stand for our rights. It's also in the Jew Israeli, not, uh, not, to, to, not, to be not to be victimized again. It's a very deep uh, ethos in, in the Israeli culture. And by doing that, we, we actually take another part of the uh, unawarely of the three of the of, of uh, we take the, the side of the oppressor in, in certain um, situation in, in the conflict. But each culture has its way to deal with conflict, and it's a, the culture is something which is learned. Culture is values. Culture it gives meaning. Culture mm -hmm. it gives mm -hmm. practices. And the way we grow, the way in culture is the way that we um, pass these values to our kids because culture is learned. And it's learned from the very, the very first moment in which we are born into a human society. And it's also how we learn to deal with conflict. And today in our world, we are a very hierarchical society very individualistic, hierarchical, economical society, and uh, past generation actually taught us to deal with conflict, with power, in a way. If we are in a higher hierarchical level, we are the ones to decide. And I think restorative justice gives us the hope in teaching, um, dealing with uh, conflict in a way which not says only, okay, I have the power to say that you are wrong, you are right, you're the one who did the right thing and you're the one who did the wrong thing, and you're in, you're out, and it has a lot to do with it, but also to find a way that we decide together how to make, okay, there is something wrong has been done, now what, how do we deal with it, how do we deal with it collectively? in order to make things right again, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that helps both sides feel secure again in society, for mm -hmm. the victims mm -hmm. to know that it won't happen again, and for the offenders to know that they can get what they need without harming other people mm -hmm. in the society. I guess especially in intercultural contexts, it can be difficult to optimize communication when people are used through uh, having learned it when they grow up to having such different interpretations of things from language to actions and body language as well. Yes. We are all, well, we are all people. We are all born, we will all die. Uh, we all go to the toilet. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, most of how we act, how we behave, what we do is mm -hmm. learned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And today we live in a globalized world, so we need a lot of different ways of behavior. And we need to adopt tolerance to understand, okay, people are not the same, and it's okay not to be the same. And I think it's wonderful that we are not the same, as long as we don't harm or exclude others because they are not the same and enable them to bring their uniqueness in order to, to make something more constructive out of society, mm -hmm. the way I see it. Okay. 
And let's take a minute to think about the, uh, the conference that we're both attending at the minute, because as I said before, it is the first international conference of the Positive Criminology and Positive Victimology Research Group, and we'll both be presenting our research over the next couple of days. So what is it that you'll be talking about, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it's a kind of a continuation of the following uh, sentence. To their restorative justice, the way I see it, it's a culture. Mm -hmm. It's a different culture trying in how to, how to make a community, how to uh, live together, how to deal with conflict. And it's a new culture trying to integrate into the institutions of society which are dealing exactly with conflicts and injustices. And uh, every new, like every new immigrant which is coming to ha and meets a new culture, that there is kind of an adaption process between the immigrant which meets the new culture and can choose whether to adopt it or whether to refrain from it or whether to, to combine it with his past culture and there's the new culture which the host culture mm -hmm. which uh, meets the, the new the, the newcomer and uh, can say, okay, we are who we are, and we don't make any change because we have a dominant culture, and this is how things go here. Mm -hmm. Or we can make it easier for him to integrate, or we can see what we can learn from him. Maybe we can learn something new, new way, new dishes, new tastes, mm -hmm. new new traditions, new wisdoms of how to deal with life. And Restorative justice is this newcomer into a very hierarchic, formalistic legal system. And the institutions of our society reflect are a reflection, they are like a mirror of the culture. And if you want to know a culture, go to its formal institutions. There you will see a culture at its best. For example, at the airport. The way all the security, who's coming in and who's coming out, how excluding is a society? How accepting is a society? How fearful is a society? And now restorative justice is a new a culture trying to be integrated, trying to come into a very different culture. And we see many practitioners trying to learn and study, many scholars trying to implement restorative justice in different places in the world but they find them themselves blocked, unaccepted. They find themselves at the point which uh, in many places, for example, both in Sweden and in Israel, restorative justice is, is, is at the critical point. Legally, the, the law enables but for different reasons, the, it, it, it is not accepted. In Sweden, it is not accepted because the culture of dealing with conflict is to uh, avoid it. Okay, we can, we are, uh, we are all people. Things happen. One made a mistake. Nothing, nothing ever happened. We can move on. It leaves the victim in a very. Uh, lonely place, but, uh, and also restorative justice.
because mm-hmm. it doesn't give a true response to what, what has happened. What I was saying that uh, in Israel, the way to do the conflict is more dominant, and uh, thus restorative justice is considered as being too lenient on crime. And it is also stuck within these institutions who are not accepted, either, either as uh, Belinda Hopkins says that the uh, uh, level of management is not knowledgeable or educated in restorative justice. This culture is strange or even can, can sometimes be considered as naive. And in both cases, restorative justice is not in a culture which is not accepted, considered irrelevant or uh, considered not suitable to deal with crime, which is, might leave both victims and offenders and society. So, uh, with one team left, left, mm. one, one, one less alternative on being and how to deal with cultures more constructively. And this is what I've been talking about. That's mm. interesting, this idea of almost a conflict at the scene mm-hmm. between two cultures. And the analogy of it being at the individual level, like, for example, someone moving to a new country, mm-hmm. or similarly with restorative and retributive justice systems, because if you imagine someone moving to a new country, and the way you you were describing earlier, you could, the result of that might be uh, like synthesis mm-hmm. of cultures resulting in something new, or just as easily it could result in perhaps further polarization where one yeah where one or both sides begins to perceive itself to be defining itself in contrast to the new thing that they're up against yes this is all exactly what, what, what i'm trying to say uh and the, i think the risk in the polarization which you are describing is exactly the exclusion and the non-acceptance of both of other cultures, but I think more, uh, I, th- I think that the more serious aspect is the rejection and the exclusion of people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and one thing that I'm particularly interested in is um, the role you've played in helping to implement restorative justice in both your home country of Israel and your adopted country of Sweden, because if I'm right that uh, you participated in both an Israeli restorative justice forum and also a Swedish restorative justice forum. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, is what, what, what do those involve? Is that you and other, um, like, are policymakers involved in those and practitioners and then representatives of civil society, academia? What do those involve? Can you talk a little bit about yeah. them and contrast the two, maybe? Um, well, I, I cannot necessarily contrast, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I can describe each sure. one. Sure, yeah, please, yeah. Uh, for, for what, what Your experience of them, yeah. My, my, my personal experience. And, um, well, in Israel, I, 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 with the help of my uh, supervisors in the Department of Criminology, where I wrote my PhD, we uh, actually initiated the Israeli Forum of Restorative Justice, and I was kind of the coordinator of it in the beginning. And at the beginning, it was mostly uh, academic students, 
and practitioners. Uh, and uh, to begin with, those who were involved were either academics or people from uh, the police or from the probation office who um, participated in, in this group. And it was mostly uh, enabling them come together and talking about restorative justice. And it was that each one, uh, from their perspective, there was also, a, at that time, there was also a unit at the Ministry of uh, Legal Affairs that dealt with uh, um, alternative, uh, with mediation and restorative justice. But, uh, she, and she was, of course, also involved in policy, but it was more in enabling them not to feel so lonely in their position and helping them feel okay. It's not only, uh, each one is not just a Don Quixote mm -hmm. uh, fighting against windmill. Mm -hmm. It's each one, you are a group of people together. Each, uh, uh, it was uh, every time there was one of them lecturing, offering a lecture, either we were uh, talking about literature, uh, writings, uh, presented uh, Mark Yancey's, and it was very much also uh, symbolic to the time where restorative justice was, which still was the very apologetic narrative of why why restorative justice is better than the legal system because it was not accepted. Today, I think we are in a very different place of how making how to make restorative justice in a way that sustains the security of the individual involved, and how implementing restorative justice in a more uh, responsible uh, manner, even though Declan Moshe have written about it long ago, already in the beginning of the two of two thousand. So, I mean, you're talking the, the... This was the Israeli group, mm -hmm. but following personal life events, uh, I got married, I moved to Switzerland, following my husband's career, and then I moved to Sweden. Um, I, I should also say that in Sweden, I also tried to make uh, contact with people from restorative justice. Um, um, I have a very close friend of mine, uh, Judge Josie Conti. She tried to, to apply restorative justice, but the legal situation in uh, Switzerland does not allow any alternative to the criminal law. So there's no, uh, at least when I lived there at that time, um, till um, 12 years ago, there was no restorative justice. Uh, formally allowed. I knew that there was in, uh, under the uh, um, uh, the host of the church there were um, non-formal uh, restorative processes, but not uh, not not more than that. I also know that there is a professor from Catholic uh, University in Lubin, Johan de Vaux. I'm not sure how you, and he at the time also made restorative justice in, in school, but I, I'm, I'm not, I don't have uh, a contact with him today, so I don't know where he stands. And then what about in Sweden, you're on a restorative uh, justice forum as well? And when I came to Sweden, I 
by uh, the help of uh, Martin Wright, uh, he connected me to um, whom I knew from the uh, European Forum of Historical Justice, which uh, um, I, I took part in, uh, in which I participated for a while in their uh, uh, theoretical research group. And there I got to know uh, Martin Wright and Eleanor Lind, and he connected between us. And she invited me to participate in uh, it's called the SFM, Swedish Forum of Mediation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting because in Sweden the word for mediation or restorative justice is the same. They did also legally and uh, in practice they did not make the difference. Distinguish, yeah. Distinguish. Well, it's a lot of European countries that do that. They have the penal mediation, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah, that's interesting. And I very much stress the difference that it's not the same and it should not be the same because uh, I think in a social structure, the way that the society gives a response to victims and offenders, they are not in the, they are not equals. They are they're not equals, and they should not be regarded as as equals. Of course, both human beings, of course, both uh, capable and uh, knowledgeable people, and so on and so on. Yeah, but you, but you come into the intervention from the position of a power imbalance right. because of one harming another. Yeah. yeah, and when you say, in the way I see it personally, mm -hmm. when you say mediation, you assume equality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the role of the mediator is very different mm -hmm. than in, than in uh, um, criminal mediation, or than the way I call it, uh, restorative justice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what about um, have you? Could you describe any successes you had with the Swedish Forum or the Israeli Forum in terms of implementing restorative justice? Uh, or has it been well, quite not, difficult? It's not. Um, I, I I don't say that in. Um, I don't see it as success, or um, I don't think in that term. I think in a way. Uh, my contribution is with Israeli. It's either because it's there, it's, it's success. I know that it there was a legal change in restorative justice, and uh, well, now it's on a whole, as I said, both for cultural reasons, both for uh, legal agenda, and uh, one of the persons leading the forum today, she was my student, and I'm very proud of her that she uh, kind of pushes it forward. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it is stuck. And in Sweden, I, I kind of came to something which was, all, was already there. And I think as long as I'm new in Sweden, getting to know the language, the culture, the people, uh, I, I, I still feel there's not enough that I can do, or not, I see a lot of potential. Uh, there is a special situation in Sweden today as a social, everything that has to do with restorative justice is managed uh, by the social services, it is social workers who are uh, supposed to, to uh, provide uh, restorative justice services to victims of crimes and offenders. 
today's reader is a very it is a very a very interesting point both historically and socially due to uh, the mass of refugees which the country is absorbing and most of the country's resources are now invested in that but I think from an intercultural perspective for many cultures for example people who are coming from uh, Somalia or Rwanda more uh, private more uh, uh, personal processes might seem much more relevant to them than the whole legal system and, and its construction, construction which are totally strange for them. Mm -hmm. Well, so the restorative approach is more culturally responsive, or at least it enables a culturally responsive... I think uh, um, Mark Ubright have written about it long ago, but also new studies show that there are uh, there are cultures which see it as a better way of doing justice. It is interesting because in many Western cultures, it's actually seen as the opposite. Mm -hmm. That it's uh, sometimes people feel that if it's not given the formal benches of justice, it's not taken seriously enough. So it's very cultural the meaning that we give to it. But if people will learn that addressing and hearing the people and giving them the place and giving the place to their to their point of view is the the best way of showing that this is taken seriously, we might learn that it's it is another way or another possibility which is uh, which shows our respect to it. So mm -hmm. Managing the image of uh, respect of people and the way we give them place. So mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I think the final thing to talk about is we're in Israel. You know, we study conflict, we study conflict resolution, restorative justice, and obviously there is uh, no dearth of conflict to be dealt with in this part of the world. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on how restorative justice might be used to respond to these long-running conflicts? Do you think there's a place for it? I mean, are we talking uh, national reconciliation? Are we talking um, individual level restorative justice? I mean, what, what could happen there? It is the question I think I am dealing with every day since I have learned about restorative justice. And the more I learn about it, the more I believe in it. The more I believe that a restorative approach could provide a hope to this place. Um, our friend and colleague, Mr. Ali Dohar, is offering yoga, which is a, a type of circles which uh, are a culturally, which have a it's a cultural heritage in uh, Pakistan, mm -hmm. in the Pakshua society where he comes from. In the Middle East, there are many types. In every culture, we have the the forgiving and the more harmonious ways of doing justice. The way great ways uh, talk about it. And, in his writings, but there are always the, the more uh, militant, more conflictual ways of, of, of enforcing justice, which if uh, you ask me, you can't enforce justice, because justice is something that's grown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and here in the Middle East, 
you have sukha, where, uh, which it comes from a Muslim tradition of how how to, um, in a way, mediate between two people, two groups, which something went wrong there. Mm -hmm. And if you ask me, the conflict in the Middle East is not, uh, is very much similar to a conflict between neighbours. Where it's not only where will the fence grow, it is how can we learn and live together. And to live together is something that we learn to do. We don't choose our, uh, our uh, colleagues at work. We don't choose the children with whom we'll go to school with. Many people in our community are not people who we choose, but we learn through socialization, through education, how to live together and how to cooperate together. And people in the area need to learn to live together in a way that respects and acknowledge. Acknowledgement is, is a, a word which is very much uh, valued in restorative justice. And the different people need to learn to respect and acknowledge their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it's very much like conflicts within families, how brothers learn to deal together, deal with differences, and to respect each other's needs. And I think lessons learned from restorative justice can contribute very much to peace within the individual, but also peace within the society and community. And it might sound very simplistic, but this is something uh, that can, a lot of lessons can be learned from restorative mm -hmm, justice. Mm -hmm. And I think, as the way I'm seeing it now, both in my personal life and both from time to time that I visit Israel, uh, I think it comes from the people. If we don't know our neighbors, how can we communicate? How can we talk? How can we learn? to know each other and how can we learn to live together. And in that void there's a lot of place, place of prejudice and identity politics mm -hmm. and uh, how do we bring up ourselves in a way that does not bring down the other, how do we manage it. And it, I think it, it is very much grassroots, people-to-people uh, -people relationships that can overcome the uh, brutal identity politics which is managed by irresponsible politicians in the area from all sides mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. and their own interests in terms of being the people's interests mm -hmm. and lives. Okay, great. Um, and that brings us to the end of this episode of Restorative Conversations. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Esther Friedman, for her time and insight. Thank you very much, Esty. Thank you very much, Ian. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can join the community of restorative researchers by using those search terms on Facebook or on LinkedIn, or email me to find out more at i.martyr, that's M-A-R-D-E-R, at leads.ac.uk. Please join us for the next episode of Restorative Conversations, and until then, goodbye.